Today on The Journey, from Steve DeWitt. When God wanted us to know his will, he spoke it and he wrote it down. The spoken word of God is what was heard by the prophets. The writing of it down is what was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that what we have right here is the revealed will of God for us. Completely sufficient. This is his revealed will. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Life unfolds through a sequence of decisions, and the culmination of these decisions shapes our destiny. So how can we discern if our choices align with God's will? Today, Pastor Steve explains that we can discover God's will for us because He's made it plain through Scripture. It's a message titled, God's Will for My Life. Is it a secret? And you can listen online at thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's message. It's been said that we are the sum of our decisions. We can look at our lives and see where we are today and see the decisions that have brought us to this place, whether it be who we marry, what school we went to, what job or career I decided to go into. It has produced who we are today. We are the sum of our decisions. And these decisions shape our lives, which is why it's so important that we carefully consider and know what God's will is for those decisions. And we can know that. We can. In fact, I do not believe that God wants his children wandering around, walking around, full of anxiety, wondering all the time, what am I supposed to do? And what if I've made a decision in the past that wasn't what God wanted me to do, and now I'm out of God's will for the rest of my life, and then what does that mean? God wants us to know what his will is, and he has made that will known. And so we're going to do a little series on how to know God's will for your life. And there is one, there's many verses on this. We're going to look at many of them. But the key verse, the main theme verse for this series is Romans 12, verse 2. I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Romans 12, verse 2. Now the end of the verse describes really the goal here, and that is knowing and doing God's will. So how do we get there? And that's what the previous part of the verse describes for us. There is something that we are not to do. There is something that we are to do. And then it produces the goal of knowing and doing the will of God. So first of all, notice that there is something that we are not to do. We are not to live according to the world's values and philosophies. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And every day that we live in this world, there is a squeezing that is going on. There is a value set and an ideology and a philosophy that the world is trying to press down upon us so that we think the way that they want us to think. And we live according to their godless philosophies. So the first thing we need to recognize is that we will never be able to fulfill God's will for us, know it or do it, if we are thinking the way that the world thinks because we will then live the way that the world lives. So step number one, don't do that. Do not conform to the world and what they value. But there is something to do now, and the to do is just the rest of the verse there. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here Paul says that he is, that God is metamorphosizing us 
changing the essence of who we are from what we were into what he wants us to be. And as sinners, our way of thinking, our way of living prior to the grace of God coming to us in the gospel was ugly, wasn't it? Not something we want to look at or think about. But we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we heard about the cross, and we heard that there was a grace to be found, and that sins could be forgiven, and that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, Son of God, fully man, raised from the dead three days later. We heard this message, and we believed the message, and from that moment on, there was this changing of the essence of who we are that begun, not outward conformity, but an inward change of the heart where now I begin to look at things and value things differently than I did before. Now, what does a renewed mind look like? And the rest of the verse tells us that. He says, then, okay, once you have a renewed mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so what does a renewed mind do? First of all, it tests what God's will is. This means that it knows the word of God. It is able to test the opportunity or test the decision based upon what God's word says about that. So one obvious requirement, if you want to know God's will for your life, is that you have to be a person of the book. Here's the second. A renewed mind isn't just knowing, but also applying and delighting to apply that truth. Finally, just, just to add that he describes uh, the person who's living this way as good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, Test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And these adjectives describe God's perspective on decisions that we make according to his will. I do not live according to the world around me. I don't value what they value. I don't believe what they say. I'm not bound by their philosophies. I seek transformation in my life by renewing my mind, which only comes through a knowledge and application of God's word, within which I have freedom to make wise and thoughtful decisions in life. Now, I told you this is a series of messages, and that's important for you to remember because I'm not going to cover every, there's no possible way to cover everything here. And if you say, well, he didn't talk about this, and what do you mean by that? Keep coming, okay? Keep coming. We're going to get to it probably. But I want to talk with you, really, the rest of my message today is flawed approaches to knowing God's will. Flawed, here's the way that we're supposed to do it, okay? And yet there's all these other ways that people oftentimes do it, some of which have actually been taught from pulpits. Flawed approaches. Here's the first one. Fleece, okay? Fleece. Anybody ever make a decision based upon a fleece? You might be going, what is a fleece? Well, a fleece comes from, uh, from Gideon in Judges chapter 6, in which God came to him and said, all right, I want you to take these, uh, this army, and I want you to go, and I want you to wipe out the Midianites. The problem was the Midianites in the passage were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They just were tons of them, and Gideon's like, okay, Lord, can you give me a little assurance that this is what you want me to do? Beyond the fact that he had direct revelation that this is what God wanted him to do. And so the fleece was that the fleece, which is a piece of, of fabric, was to be outside, and the dew around it was to be wet, and the fleece was to be dry in the morning, which would be really profound if that was to happen. And so God did it. And then Gideon wasn't satisfied, and he said, okay, here's what I want. I want the, uh, uh, the fleece to be wet and the ground around it to be dry. And God's like, no problem. 
And he did it. And so when that was all done, Gideon's like, okay, bummer. I really got to do this now. <laughs> all right, here we go. So many people have said, hey, it worked for Gideon. It'll work for me. And when it comes time to make a decision, they will create some fleece, some box that they put God in, in order for them to know if God really wants them to do this thing. For example, I've told this story before, but when I was uh, looking at colleges to go to, I, I, I really was struggling, like, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And I really wanted to play college basketball. So I went to this one particular college and uh, met with the, the basketball coach at the athletic facility. And uh, we had a good meeting, and, and my parents were with me and all that, and we had talking about, you know, possibilities. And we, we left the coach, and we were walking upstairs into the, uh, into the gymnasium uh, where they played all their games and everything, and it was kind of dark. And I just was walking through the gymnasium, and I was, you know, hearing the chants of my name, uh, seeing my jersey retired on the wall, wondering which entrance my statue would be at, really just wondering, is this the place for me? I don't know. And I remember I looked in the corner and there was a volleyball way in the corner of the gymnasium, this volleyball. And I went walking over and I picked up the volleyball and I said, and I looked at the, the basket way in the distance and I said, okay, Lord, if this is where you want me to be, you better let this go in, you know, make this go in. And I can't remember if I threw it or flung it or what I did. I stood there and I, it, it was dark. And as I recall, the ball just disappeared into the darkness because all I could see was the rim. Nothing but net went right through. I was like, <gasps> that was a fleece and a terrible basis for making a decision. Don't do fleeces. We're never told to do fleeces. Now, sometimes fleeces are just marks of wisdom like no-brainer decisions. Like if you say, Lord, if somebody comes to my house and offers me five million, that's gonna be my fleece that I'm supposed to sell my house. That's not a fleece, that's just like a no-brainer kind of a thing. You don't have to pray about that, okay? Make sure you tithe on what you make, but that's okay, all right? Or here's another fleece. Maybe a full, people will say a full-ride scholarship will be an indication that God, that you want me to go to this particular college. That's not a fleece, that's just good financial wise stewardship. Okay, so sometimes they are marks of wisdom. We call them fleeces, but just don't do those, okay? It's not a good way to operate. Here's the second one. It just happens to rhyme. Peace. Fleece? Peace. Many people evaluate the rightness of a decision or a wrongness of a decision based upon this inner sense of tranquility that they have in their hearts about the particular decision. So that as long as I feel good about it, then that means that God is sort of adding his blessing and that this is the way that he wants me uh, to go. So that I have heard it so many times, Pastor, I have peace about this. I have peace about this. And sometimes, all too often, the thing that they have peace about is actually something that in God's word he has said, you are not to do. That's the danger of it. Okay? There's so much wrong with this. I don't have time to get into it. First of all, peace is never to be a basis for making a decision, never. Now, some of you will say, what about the Philippians 4 passage? We're supposed to pray. And when we pray, the peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts. That's a great verse that's a bad interpretation. And we've studied this before as a church that what he's talking about there with the peace that passes understanding is not some undescribable, un unbelievable feeling that you have inside. He's saying there that the sense that you have based upon trusting God is much better than anxiety and worry and fear ever will produce in your life. It's better than, it's better than understanding is what transcends means there. 
The peace is not the basis for freedom or making the decision. It is the fruit of trusting God. So what is the peace that they're talking about? It is a feeling. And what is wrong with making decisions based upon feelings? Feelings are so, so subjective. Feelings change quickly. And peace feels a lot like whatever makes me happy so that we can have peace about a lot of things that maybe would make us happy but doesn't make God happy at all. If you're ever about to make a decision based upon peace, remember the song, Feelings, Nothing More Than Feelings. Here's the third faulty approach. It's a sign. It's a sign. Now, there are people that think that knowing God's will is a matter of having your eyes open to the signs that God drops in your path. So that the key to knowing it is having your eyes ready to see, and normally these are some unusual circumstance, some sort of quirky thing that happens that Christians all too often say, it's gotta be from God. I mean, how do you explain this particular thing. I talked with a young woman one time who was convinced that her new boyfriend was the man that God had chosen for her to be her husband. I guess that's how you would say that. And the reason that she was convinced about this is that he drove a four by four pickup truck. And she always knew that God would want her to marry a guy that, was, that drove a four by four pickup truck. And so here she was convinced of this. And this, we're not talking, this was a you know, 20 plus kind of year old woman, been in the church all her life. Now, clearly, God is the orchestrator of circumstances, and we are going to spend more time on God's providential hand and how he does use circumstances to, uh, to, to guide us. However, the problem with interpreting circumstances is the same as the problem with interpreting feelings, and that is that our interpretations of these things are entirely subjective. One person can look at a circumstance and say, this is clearly indicating that this is what God wants us to do. Somebody else looks at the same thing and says, no, no, this clearly indicates that this is what God wants us to do. Our interpretation is the problem. We are subjective. You look at something one day, you look at it, and the next day you look at it completely different, right? And then the third day, it's a third opinion on the matter. We're the flimsy ones, right? Not God. Doors opening and good feelings don't mean that God is leading. We can look at Jonah, the prophet, as a great example. Here you have Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, go to where? Go to Nineveh, which was this way. What way does Jonah go? That way. And in going that way, he goes down to Joppa. And he says, I want to go to Tarshish, the furthest city. I want to get to Timbuktu is where I want to go. And he gets down there, and he's wondering, hey, I wonder if I can find a ship that's going to Tarshish. Lo and behold, there happens to be a ship. Well, and they have room. And they accept him. And he has enough to pay the fare. And they have to, happen to be leaving soon. Sign, sign, sign. It's all coming together. And not only did he have the signs, he also had the feelings indicated by the fact that shortly after the ship leaves, he goes down into the hull of the ship, and the text says that he fell into a deep sleep. The signs were lining up. The feelings were lining up. And Jonah couldn't be more out of the will of God than going to Tarshish. We cannot interpret circumstances accurately. Even, even the godly man, John Wesley, 
got caught up in this, and oftentimes when making a decision, he would just simply say, dear God, would you please give me guidance, would open his Bible and do this. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. And he would make a decision based upon that. Maybe he's leading in some way. We're never to do that. Might as well trust your fortune cookie, you know. Don't look for those kind of signs. Here's a fourth. And I'm not going to spend much time on this. God has only one perfect will for my life. Here's a popular one. God has one will. The will of God is a tightrope. This is what I was afraid of when I was in college or thinking about where to go to college. Because if I pick the wrong school, then I'm not going to make the right friends. And if I don't make the right friends, then I'm not going to meet the people that are going to help me get into whatever I'm trying to go into. And then I won't meet the right girl. And if I don't meet the right girl, my children are going to be you know, half right, half wrong. It's just going to be terrible. You know, you think this way. It's a tightrope. And many people, listen to me, many people, they approach it that way. And what happens is they're constantly looking back in their life and saying, I wonder if I took a misstep. Here's the fourth. God led me to. God told me to. God nudged me to. If you listen to people who are either trying to justify what they do or maybe just well-meaning or using words like this, they will often refer to direct revelation that God has given to them regarding a decision. Now, sometimes what they mean is that I saw a need and, 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 I, and I really believe that I should do something. And that reason I should do something is because of the example of Jesus Christ or the teaching of compassion in the scriptures or a godly example in my life. And on that level, I think that's fine. But normally what people mean when they say this is the impression that I'm getting right now is something that God is putting in my life. This is a direct revelation from God in the moment, and it is viewed as authoritative as the Word of God. Now let me give you an example of this. Some years ago, prior to my coming here, there was a woman in the ministry in Indianapolis that was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God had spoken to her and had told her that she was to be my wife, okay? Now, this was a a woman probably seven years older than me, college-educated. Her job required careful, rational thinking, and she worked for a major corporation. Okay, this was not a sort of willy-nilly living kind of person. But for whatever reason, she had, this was a convinced, settled opinion in her life. So I had to meet with her. I mean, she was just all the time smiling at me in the services, you know, and hanging around and all this. And, I, and her friends would go and talk to her and try to say, listen, this isn't going to happen. I met with her, and I just, be, I just was like, this isn't going to happen, okay? This is not going to happen. She could not be dissuaded from her opinion. Absolutely not. She lived in Indianapolis, but after I came up here to Bethel, five of the first Sundays that I got into the pulpit, I look out and there she is smiling at me. Finally, through a major confrontation, I basically had to forbid her from ever being here again. I mean, it was not, it was, this was a serious thing to her. And I wonder why would God tell her that and not tell me. 
This is why the language that we use, I think, is so dangerous. God put an impression in my heart. God nudged me. God led me. And again, there's a way that you can say that I think that is okay, but most people don't say it that way, and they don't mean it that way. Does Paul say in Romans 12 that we are to wait for an impression? No. Now, there are examples, clearly, in Scripture where God chose to give direct revelation to somebody regarding what they should do. Many of those, for example, in Acts. And we don't want to put God in a box and say that he can't do that because he can do jolly well whatever he wants to do. He is God, we are not. However, we can't look at the extraordinary events and say this is the way that God all the time operates in the ordinary. Because in the ordinary day-to-day life of living the Christian life, the way that God operates is the way that we find here in Romans 12 too, where he has spoken his word to us. He has given us clear moral parameters for moral decisions. He has given us wisdom, the church, godly counselors to make wise and informed decisions, which with our heart delighting more than anything else to do the will of God, fulfills the will of God and brings about his delight and approval on our life. And there is so much that we can say about this. For example, how do I do that? How do I apply biblical decision-making principles? Does God have a plan for my life? What about circumstances? We'll get to all that stuff. What I want today to do is to confirm in your heart that you are not going to live according to these counterfeit approaches because these will lead you astray. Many people have made life-changing, devastating decisions based upon a flawed approach to knowing the will of God. And friends, there is a so much better way that we've just touched on so far. Because what's the goal? We want to get to the end of our life. And even as we live right now, we want to have confidence that as God looks down upon my life, and is he active in my life? Yes, he is active in my life. Is he interested in my life? He knows the hairs on my head. He hears my prayers. He loves me intensely. Jesus Christ is interceding for every Christian, even as we speak. So God is vitally interested in our life. But is he looking at our life and saying, that's good. That is pleasing to me. That decision that you make or have made shows me that you are a faithful servant. That's got to be the motive of our life, is to please the Lord. How do we get there? We've just touched on it today. we got lots more to come. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the conclusion of a message titled, God's Will for My Life. Is it a secret? We're just getting started in this series called Decision Making. But if you're just tuning in, remember, you can access every message in this series online at thejourney.fm. On our website, you'll also find articles and other helpful resources designed to help you grow closer to God and walk in His will each day. Well, I just want to take a moment to thank our listeners and our faithful monthly supporters who give generously to help keep the journey on the air. Because of friends like you, we're able to share God's Word with listeners around the country through the radio and Internet, helping people meet God wherever they're at in their own life's journey. And when you give a generous gift today, Whether it's one-time or monthly, you'll help ensure that the clear biblical teaching on the journey continues to reach listeners throughout 2024. So would you give today? Just call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 
7568763 or make a donation online at thejourney.fm. As a thank you for your generous gift, we'd like to send you a book titled Decision Making and the Will of God. In the expanded 25th anniversary edition of this highly acclaimed work, author Gary Friesen examines the prevalent view on God's will today and provides a sound biblical alternative to the traditional teaching of how God guides us. This new edition includes a study guide for small groups, insightful answers to frequently asked questions, and a guide to painless scripture memorization. Request a copy to read along with our current series or give one to a friend. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us tomorrow for a message titled, Dear God, What Do You Want Me To Do? That's Thursday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.